follow, and we're actually going to wrap up that series today. Beginning next week, we're going to move into our Christmas series. We're actually calling that series Trees, and I'm super duper excited. You know, it's kind of hard, right, to recycle Christmas every year, so we've put a completely new uh, spin on it this year that I think is going to be very encouraging to most of you, so I can't wait for that series. But as we wrap up this series with this story today, this happens to be one of my uh, favorite uh, stories in Scripture, one of my favorite parables, certainly. And uh, so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at, look at what happens when people wander away from the grace of God. We're going to take a look at what happens to people when they try to approach God on the basis of like a contract. In other words, God, I'll perform for you. I'll do A, B, C, and you will do D, E, and F. And so the vineyard here in the story that Jim just read represents God's great work in the world. It represents his work in this church. It represents his work in your family. The vineyard stands for what God is doing, the fruit that he wants to produce in the world, the kind of kingdom he wants to grow right here on earth. So the owner of this vineyard goes to this first group, and they form, this is so important, they form a relationship based on a contract. In other words, the owner says to them, hey, you come to work for me a day, and I will pay you a fair wage. I'll pay you a denarius, which was about what anybody in that day and age uh, would earn. And this is important because I think a lot of people in Jesus' audience, and maybe even some people in this room, Try to approach God in the same way. You try to approach God based on a contract. Hey, I'll perform for you. I'll have a quiet time every day. I'll do this. I'll do that. And, and based on my performance, that's how I'll gauge your acceptance of me. And in that day, in Jesus' audience, God's people felt that if they kept the rules, if they obeyed the law, if they did good things, and if they didn't do bad things, if they performed well, that God would favor them, that he would bless them, that he would be pleased with them. So this first group of workers represented not only some of the people of Jesus' day, but some of us in this very room. And here's how their contract would work. They're going to work one day, he'll pay them a day's wage. They know up front what they're going to get, right? They're going to do a certain amount of work. They're going to earn a certain wage. Now, anybody know how long the work day was back then? And you could, if you paid attention, you see it in this story. How long was it? Yeah, it wasn't eight hours. There were no unions or anything like that then. When you went to work, you worked a 12-hour work day, and you did that six days a week. It's uh, really important to understand. So um, it started at six in the morning. They worked till six at night. And it says the owner saw others standing in the marketplace. So he goes back at the third hour. So what would the third hour be in the story? 9 a.m., right? Then he says he goes back at the sixth hour. What time would that be? Noon. He goes at the ninth hour. What time would that be? Some math majors in the room. Yeah, right? That's so good for the rest of us. Yeah, so um, 9 o'clock comes, and then he comes back at the 6th hour. That would be 12 and so on. We get the idea. But it, what's important to note is that the first group is different than all the other groups in that they are the only one that have a contract 
with the owner of this vineyard. Everybody else, the workers who hired on at nine, at noon, at three, and at five, all those workers just said to, to the owner, hey, look, you just pay us what you think is fair and what you think is right. In other words, they're banking everything uh, on, the, on the trust, right, of this vineyard owner. These folks didn't know what they would be making. Now think about this for a minute in your everyday world. You agree to be at work for nine hours a day, work hard while you're there, and then in your contract under salary, it just says, whatever my employer thinks is right and fair. How many of you would take a job like that under those circumstances? That's about what I thought. Somewhere between zero and none of us would take a job like this. But these guys are so desperate that they're willing just to entrust themselves to the character of this owner right and there and remember too in this day there was no welfare there's no food stamps and this is unskilled labor they're just picking uh you know fruit or whatever they're harvesting out of that vineyard i mean this is just one step up from begging these guys are hanging out in the marketplace, and they are there for no other reason than that they are desperate. So it, finally at the 5 o'clock hour, right, the owner of the vineyard comes. There's only one hour left in the workday, and there's still guys standing around hanging out. You know why? Because it would be really hard to go home to your wife and kids at 6 and say, I couldn't find work today, so there'll be no dinner on the dinner table tonight. I mean, this is how they were having to live. So by 5 o'clock, even at 9 o'clock, these folks are desperate because, after all, who's going to hire them at this hour? I mean, look, it's like trying to get a job selling pumpkins the day after Halloween or trying to get a job selling turkeys the day after Thanksgiving, right? They knew they're in no position to bargain. I mean, you'd have to be crazy or desperate or stubborn or hopeful to be hanging out in the marketplace at 5 o'clock, but there they are anyway. And I want you to imagine their surprise when the owner of this vineyard comes and he offers them a chance to work. And they think, well, hey, you know, at least I'll get in an hour's work. I mean, the day won't be a total waste. I may not be able to bring home, you know, meat for my family, but I'll at least be able to provide something. At least I'll bring something home, even though I don't know what that amount is going to be. And then in verse 8, we go to the second half of the story. Evening comes. And now it's time to pay each of these workers. And this is where this story gets so interesting because normally the owner of the vineyard would have brought in the guys who worked first, paid them first, the contract workers. He would have paid them the ones who came in at 6 a.m. But Jesus tells a story completely differently. It goes backwards for reasons we're going to soon discover. So what, he, what the owner does is he brings in the last guys he hired first. So all the workers are standing there, the ones who came at 6, the one who came at 9, the ones who came at noon, at 3, and at 5. They're all there, and they're watching this whole thing. And he gives these guys who showed up at 5 a denarius, a whole day's wage just for working one hour. 
and they can't believe their good fortune. I mean, he entrusted himself to the owner of this vineyard and to his generosity, but they never imagined that he would pay that extravagantly, that generously. I mean, he paid them way beyond what they earned. And this scene gets repeated over and over and over. All the part-time workers get full-time pay. And then they're just just right undone by the generosity of the owner until he comes to the contract workers, the ones that have been there all day. So they've been watching the owner be incredibly generous with everybody else, but then they only get what they agreed to work for. They too get the same thing all the part-timers did. They get a denarius, even though they had to work longer and harder to get it. So let me ask you a question. Put yourself in the shoes of those workers for a moment. Do you think that they were happy that the vineyard owner kept his end of the bargain with them? Honored the contract that he'd given them? You already know the answer, right? Of course they weren't. Do you think they were content that they had been paid exactly what they were promised that they would be paid? No. You know what? They grumble and complain. We'll come back to that in a moment. So in verse 13, the owner says, why are you upset with my generosity? If I want to be generous with my money, what business is that of yours? And remember, we said that the vineyard represents what God is doing even in this room right here today. And so there are two kinds of people in this vineyard, just like there are two kinds of people in this church. One group of people try to approach God from the perspective of a contract or their performance, while another group of us try to approach God from the perspective of His goodness, His grace, His mercy. We're just throwing ourselves at the character of the owner of this vineyard. And listen, how you approach God, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus you're going to have to be able to approach God. And when you try to approach God out of a contract, out of performance, out of your own merit, it gets toxic really, really quickly. And we're going to see that come to fruition in this very story. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at the attitudes that come up in this story in these different workers. First, we'll look at the attitudes that crop up in the contract workers, the ones that were hired at 6 a.m., because these are going to be the same kinds of attitudes that are going to pop up in us here in this room if we begin to wander or drift away from the grace and mercy of our Jesus. And make no mistake, friends, in our culture, would you agree that we live in what I would call a graceless culture? About five minutes on social media will demonstrate that to you, right? So our culture will pull you away from grace. This is why Peter says something like this. Look, grow in grace, cling to grace, hold to grace. It's so important, and it's so easy to get lulled away by our culture because we like to think of ourselves as a people that, you know, pull ourselves up by our own bootstrap and, you know, work hard and work long. And again, I'll come back to that as well. So the first attitude that we see in these 6 a.m. workers is they complain and they're dissatisfied, 
right? They complain and they're dissatisfied. Look at verse 11. It says that when they received their pay, they grumbled against the landowner. In other words, they talk about how unfair his grace is, how wrong he was to be generous with others and only to be fair with them. And we all know, right, they complain because they thought they deserved better. They deserved more. By golly, they'd earned it. See? So they grumble and they complain. And friends, listen, when you lose sight of God's grace in your life, it will lead you inevitably to grumbling and complaining. And you won't just complain against God. You will complain to God about other people. And in fact, that happens in this story too. Uh, The second thing that begins to happen in them, oh, by the way, let me stop here for a minute. So do you know why we grumble? I think we get so uncomfortable with grace is because sometimes grace collides with justice in a way that keeps us off balance, in a way that makes us uncomfortable. And I think when it comes down to it, what we want is we want justice justice to flow like a river for everybody else, but we want grace and mercy for ourselves. So let me tell you a story. One of my favorite stories about justice comes from the Los Angeles Times. It was a guy by the name of David Hagler who was stopped by a police officer for speeding. He was just going a couple of miles over the speed limit. He explained that he was in a big hurry and that normally he was a very, very careful driver. He explained also to the police officer that he was an umpire for a rec uh, baseball league and that he was late for that game. So he knew uh, both teams were going to be waiting on his arrival, but the officer wouldn't budge. He wrote him a ticket anyway. In fact, the last thing this officer said to Hagler was, Look, buddy, just tell it to the judge. So a couple months later, Hagler is serving as an umpire in a summer baseball league. The season's just started. It's the first day, and the first person up to the plate is the police officer that had given him the ticket. So now all of a sudden, the officer is really nice, and he asks, Hey, how did the thing with the ticket go? And Hagler said to him, you better swing at everything. That was, I thought that was way funnier than you did. <laughs> so we, why do we engage with a story like that? Because our sense of justice gets met, right? Somebody paid. And in fact, this is the theme of most uh, Hollywood movies. You know, people get what they deserve. Justice flows like a river. And we applaud that. The bad guy gets put away. You know, the hero wins the day. Justice is served. But grace complicates that, doesn't it? It keeps us off balance. It collides with justice in a way that makes us uncomfortable because here's the truth about grace grace isn't fair grace means that people like you and i don't get what we deserve 
And then notice here the second attitude that begins to surface in these folks. They're not just grumbling and complaining to the owner of the vineyard. They begin to resent and complain about the other workers, right? Uh, they say, hey, you're, you've treated them better or equal to us even though we were better. You treat it because we worked harder. We worked longer. We, I mean, we've got more sweat equity in the game. And I'll tell you, friends, when, when we begin to wander from grace, when you lose sight of grace, let me tell you, you will have no grace in any of your relationships. And here's why. Because you can't give what you don't have. And if, you, if you're not receiving God's grace, you will not be a good grace extender to other people. But see, what happens is a lot of times people approach God and they say, God, all right, I'm going to do A, B, C, and you do D, E, and F. If you're good to me, I'll be good to you. We can even approach the people in our life that way, kind of like a contract, right? Hey, if you're polite and courteous to me, I'll be polite and courteous to you. Now, what happens, though, is that a contract will take all the joy out of your relationships. I mean, think about it. How would it fly if a, a wife and a husband every day, hey, honey, it says here in Article 3, Stipulation B, that you will ABC. No, that would take all the joy out of a marriage, right? To, to try to appeal to a contract. Friends, when God's people try to appeal to a contract in the face of God, it robs that relationship of joy. It just does. And finally... The last uh, uh, attitude we see in these early workers is just an attitude of superiority. In verse 12, they say, you've made these men who work less equal to us. You did that. In other words, they think they deserve more. And so in Jesus' story, these people just resent God's grace, his generosity, even though he was fair and did exactly what he promised that he would do. You know, they believed deep down that they were better than everybody else in this story and that the owner of this vineyard was getting a pretty good deal in them. And it occurs to me that people in churches can start to feel the same way. You know, God's getting a pretty good deal with me. I mean, I work hard. I work long. I grew up in church. I grew up, you know, out of the nursery. And God must be pretty happy with me about that. And so... People, when they, when they start to feel that way, they start to look down on other people. They start to feel that they're superior to them. So they gossip about them. They ridicule them behind their back. They grumble to God about all these people in their life that need to straighten up and straighten out. And not only that, they resent God for his generosity in the lives of others, all the while feeling that God has not been quite generous enough with them. Now, on the other hand, let's look at the attitudes of the workers who came to the vineyard later than 6 a.m., the 9 a.m., the noon, the 3 a.m., or the 3 p.m., the 5 p.m. workers. Let's look at what they did. They just, they just came to this deal, trusted, invested in the generosity of the owner of the vineyard. It was nothing else, right? That's all they had. They were that desperate. They knew they had no choice but to depend on the generosity of the vineyard owner because by 9 a.m., everybody had been hired for the day so they knew they were going to go home empty-handed 
in most cases to a wife and kids. So when this vineyard owner proves to be even more generous than they could have ever imagined, they feel like they've won the lottery. I mean, they're grateful. They're thankful. They are just blown away by the character of this vineyard owner. See, gratitude flows out of a grace relationship with our Savior. When we are reminded how generous and how gracious God has been with us, and here's why. I want to kind of get, ask, have you ask two questions to help you identify this morning when you're beginning to wander away from grace and into performance or into a contract with God. And here's the first question. Does God give me gifts or does he pay me wages? How you answer this question determines where you stand on the grace spectrum. If you say, well, you know, I think I'm a pretty good person and I think God, you know, should probably reward me for that. You've wandered away from grace. But if you say, no, God gives gifts, I'm completely dependent on his grace, mercy, and generosity. Well, then you're right where you need to be because the reality is that God does not pay wages. He gives gifts. And here is one premise of this story. You will never give to other people what you do not have. You will never offer to others what you do not have. If you don't have grace, you won't give others grace. And that means you won't forgive. It means you won't release. It means you won't, um, yeah, you won't let go. And this, my friends, will impact every relationship in your life, just as every relationship in this vineyard is impacted in this story. And then the second question is this. Do I see God as a gracious father or do I see him as a fault-finding employer who's just looking over my shoulder, just waiting for me to screw up? How do I view God? Let me expand on that. Do I view God as a gracious heavenly father who pursues me or do I perceive God as a fault-finding employer who is put off by me. If you view God as, as a heavenly father who pursues you, you're, sta- you're wading into the depth of the stream of grace. But if you see God as a fault-finding employer who is put off by you, then, friends, you have drifted from grace. So important to understand. Look what Romans 8.32 says. He says, who did not spare his, uh, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In other words, if God's willing to give us his most valuable possession, why wouldn't he graciously share all of his possessions? It's so important that we get that, right? Now, 
One of the genius points of the stories that Jesus tells, these parables, and we'll see this in other ones as well, is that we tend to identify with different characters in the story. So a lot of times the the real power, the meat of a parable comes as you kind of meditate on, okay, who do I most relate to in this story? This is very interesting. So what I want you to do is I want you to think about which workers in this story do you most relate to and kind of hold on to that for just a minute. Now, while you're mulling that over, I want to give you a quote. It's a quote from a book written by Philip Yancey. It's an older read. It's probably 15 or so years old. It's a book called What's So Amazing About Grace. And this book is one of the most important books in my library. I think every follower of Jesus should reread this book every three to five years. It's that important. But here's what Philip Yancey says about this parable in particular. He says, Significantly, many Christians who study this parable identify with the employees who put in a full day's work rather than the add-ons at the end of the day. We like to think of ourselves as responsible workers and the employer's strange behavior baffles us as it did the original hearers. But we risk missing the story's point that God dispenses gifts, not wages. None of us gets paid according to merit like these early workers. None of us do. For none of us comes close to satisfying God's requirement for a perfect life. If paid on the basis of merit, we all deserve hell. Listen, here's the truth about every single one of us in the room. We, you and I, are the latecomers. Even those of us who've gone to church since nursery days, we are the latecomers. We are the lucky ones. We are the ones who hold the winning lottery ticket in our Jesus. We are the ones receiving what we don't deserve, the ones benefiting from the generosity of our God. We're the ones getting a pardon when we should have gotten punishment. We're the ones being shown mercy when we should receive judgment. Listen to me, as your pastor, I, me, I'm not talking about any of you, I can be self-righteous and judgmental and unloving, and I've gossiped and I've lied and I've lusted, and I've broken all of God's laws with my hands, or at least in my heart. I deserve punishment at the hands of a holy and just God. And instead, I'm given life and friends and a church and a calling and uh, the opportunity to do all of that in view of God's presence and pleasure. And I'm promised eternity in the next world. Friends, don't make any mistake about this. You and I, we in this room are the lucky ones. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how long you've been serving God, you and I are the latecomers. We're getting grace. Now listen to me. One of the ultimate signs of getting grace is the willingness to extend it to other people. So how are you doing? in that one. 
How gracious are you with your husband? How gracious are you with your wife? How gracious are you with your children? How gracious are you with your co-workers? Or do you just find yourself spilling over with anger and bitterness and resentment because the people around you, they're just not pulling their weight. They just need to straighten up and they just need to straighten out. You know, uh, I mentioned this incredible book, um, What's So Amazing About Grace. It's really one of my favorite books other than the Bible. Here's what Philip Yancey says uh, just about himself as he thinks about his own grace journey. He says these words, Grace comes free of charge to people who do not deserve it. And I am one of those people. I think back to who I was, resentful, wound tight with anger, a single hardened link in a long chain of ungrace learned from my family and my church. But now I am trying in my own small way to pipe the tune of grace. And I do so because I know more surely than I know anything that any hope of healing or forgiveness or goodness that I have ever felt comes solely and only by the grace of God. I yearn, yearn for the church to become a nourishing culture of that grace. And I say, Amen and amen. May SCC be a grace place, a place where the people of our community that are down and out and desperate come and hear a message of hope and healing and do not feel judged or like they're putting those of us out who are here in the room with them. Because at the end of the day, friends, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We all need God's grace to enter into God's presence. Now, at the end of the day, this isn't a story about whiny all-day workers. It's not even a story about grateful part-time workers who benefit from the generosity of the master. Do you know who this story is really about? The amazing person in this story is the owner of the vineyard. It's his story because he just keeps going to the marketplace again and again and again and again. I mean, he just goes back over and over and over and over. He comes back at the, at the third hour, at the sixth hour, at the ninth hour, and even at the eleventh hour, he's still there just looking for people that are desperate enough that they're willing to come and take a job in his vineyard. You know, and he's going to hardly get any benefit at all at this point for the 3 p.m. and the 5 p.m. workers. I mean, he's going to lose a full day's wages for all those people. And all the other own vineyard owners, right, they're going to laugh at him, in, at him and they're going to say, keep that up and you're going to go broke. You know, they'd say, hey, it's going to cost you everything you have if you keep doing that. And they'd be right because it did cost our vineyard owner everything he had. But the master of the vineyard, our heavenly father, won't stop. 
He won't stop coming. He won't stop pursuing. Just waiting until people are desperate enough to reach out and take a job in his vineyard. You know, and so he goes to the vineyard and he keeps saying, maybe I'll find another one, he says to himself. Maybe there won't be one more human being all alone, no prospects, no hope, who never thinks they'll ever get to be a part of anything, never contribute to anything. And maybe they'll just be desperate or hopeful or brave enough to put their hope and trust in me. And if they do that, If any men or women were to do that, I will bring them back. I will give them a place in my vineyard. I will give them the full measure of my grace. I'll give my very best, and I can't wait to see the expressions on their face when that happens. Because at the end of the day, friends, our Heavenly Father does not pay wages. He gives gifts. And that is a game changer. It's an attitude breaker, right? It should move us and motivate us to grace, you know? So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to celebrate, once a month we do this, we kind of celebrate the grace of our Savior. We remember what He did so that uh, we could be pardoned while He was being punished, We would say that his death and burial and resurrection secured a place in the family of God for you and me, that we become sons and daughters by virtue of trusting in the character of the owner of the vineyard. So where are you in that? Have you placed your trust in Jesus to pay the penalty that you deserve? Or are you still trying to perform and earn your way to God? You're still trying to prove to God that you are worthy of love. When do you know what God has said? God has said, look, I've already demonstrated to you that you're worthy of love. I sent my son to search for you. I sent my son to bleed for you because I love you. You don't have to convince me that you're worthy of my love. I've already told you that. I've already shown you that. So have you opened up your heart and your mind to just receive that, to the generosity and the grace and mercy of our Jesus? You can trust Him, friends. He's good, and He's gracious, and He's merciful, and He's loving, and He's kind. And you can trust that, because all of that got demonstrated in Jesus. So here's how we're going to take communion together. Remember too that when we take communion, what we're doing is we're remembering Jesus' body offered up for us and we're celebrating his blood that's been shed for us. And we're saying, look, we we were so desperate. If it hadn't been for that, there was no other way. I mean, nobody else was going to come and hire us. It's only, only, only Jesus. Now listen, you may be here this morning and you're kind of thinking, maybe in the back of your mind, I don't really know if I'm worthy to take communion. I don't really know if I've lived up to God's standards. Friends, have you heard a thing I've said all day? That's what grace is for. 
Grace isn't fair. And praise God that it isn't. Because grace comes free of charge to people who don't deserve it. And I am one of those people. And so are you. So let's celebrate that together. And let's take communion together precisely because God's grace is sufficient for each and every one of us. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God's grace is sufficient for you. Let me pray for us as we get ready to take communion together. Heavenly Father, I thank you. We, we are blown out of the water this morning, God, by your generosity, by your character, by your mercy, and by your grace. So we rejoice in that as we eat the bread to remember your body offered up we rejoice in that as we drink from the cup and we remember your blood that was shed for us. We give you all the praise and the glory. God, it's such a mystery. Lord Jesus, you are a mystery, but grace is such a mystery. But we cling to you and we cling to it. And we each say this morning, your grace is sufficient for me. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're going to come down the front, and then if you want to take communion in your seat, go back that way, or you can come to the altar and take communion here. So come and receive. The altar is open.